Thank you, Pastor Tim, for supplication. <clears throat> I um, invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospels, Gospels, plural, of uh, Luke and Matthew. I was telling someone that with a series that's been preached by the other pastors in the Gospel of Mark, and then with us delving into the Gospel of John in our Christian growth groups this morning, and this morning with me touching on the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, we'll have all four Gospels covered in just a matter of a couple of weeks there. But uh, I, I will be focusing on these two. I, I ask that you pray for me. I know you pray for me on a regular basis. Pray for me as I preach this morning. Like a number of you, I've been plagued with this congestion thing. And tis the season, right? And uh, so uh, just pray for me that I'll be able to maintain enough voice to preach the message God's put on my heart. But it's a pleasure to stand here and to offer the Word of God to you uh, this morning. I have a message that's simply entitled, Christmas Is. Christmas Is. And you'll be looking at Matthew chapter 1 and then Luke's Gospel chapter 1 and 2. Very, very familiar passages of Scripture. Many of you will probably quote them as as we read at different parts. But before I share that, I I was reading this interesting story, again, very familiar to all of you who are history buffs. It was December the 17th, 1903, which would have been 112 years ago this past week. I don't guess any of you were around. Uh, Us were around. (laughs) But down at Kill Devil Hills, at Kitty Hawk, Orville Wright, at the controls of his very primitive aircraft, actually made the first human flight. I've been to Kill Devil Hill. I've stood on those sand dunes. I've been to the museum there at uh, Kitty Hawk and, and just imagined what that was like. But there was, there was Orville on this crude flying machine and for 12 whopping seconds, or minutes, no, seconds, excuse me, 12 whopping seconds, he made the first human flight. Nonetheless, it was a flight. And, and so the, the story goes on that his brother Wilbur quickly rushed to telegraph back home to Ohio to their sister Catherine and excitedly recounted the historic event that they'd just experienced. And then she in turn went to the local newspaper there in Ohio, found the editor and shared with him what her brother had just shared with him. And in his excitement, Wilbur, Wilbur shared with his sister that they would be home for Christmas because it was just a couple of weeks. Well, as things would go, the newspaper came out on the 19th of December and on an obscure portion of page number six in the newspaper was this unimpressive headline that said, Wright Brothers, home for Christmas. <laughs> Talk, talking about missing the point. And as I think about Christmas and this message Christmas is, I'm afraid that in our secular, materialistic um, culture in which we live, unfortunately, most of America misses the point when it comes to Christmas. What grieves my heart is there are many Christians, or people calling them Christians, themselves Christians, who miss the point of Christmas. It's so easy. Because there's so many other things going on out there in our culture under the headings of Christmas. 
if they even use that title anymore. Uh, Happy Holidays seems, seems, seems to be the, the preferred term now. But there's so many things that would cause a person to lose sight of what really Christmas is all about. And that's why I want to take you back to the very source, the biblical record, and help us to examine what Christmas is. And so we'll be looking here in Matthew and in Luke at what Christmas is. And so first of all, I want to get you to Luke chapter 1. Because first of all, Christmas is a miracle to be experienced. Christmas is a time of miracles. And I want you to see that the miracle of Christmas, yes, transpired originally 2,000 years ago. So it is a historic event. It actually happened, as the scripture says. And it was a long, long time ago. Sounds like the introduction to Star Wars now. But anyway, a long, long time, 2,000 years ago. Historically, this event occurred. But I also want you to see that the miracle of Christmas is very contemporary. It's very right now. And so don't lose sight of that. When we talk about Christmas, it is a miracle to be experienced. For Mary, it was a miraculous birth. And so I take you to Luke's Gospel there. In chapter 1, if you'll look with me there, again, these are very familiar passages. In verse 26, you may recall that this young woman, and she was probably an early teenager, betrothed to a man named Joseph, and yet she was a virgin because they had not come together to consummate their marriage yet, according to Jew- Jewish custom. But, but, but just, my, just put yourself in Mary's position here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And call you should call his name Jesus. Which by the way, brothers and sisters, literally means Savior. Don't lose the significance of the names either. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So this is a... A miracle pronouncement to a young woman. And, and you can imagine the shock that was coming through, going through Mary's mind and her heart and the emotions and trying to absorb everything. And, and let me clarify. When the angel said that she would bear forth a son and it would be the son of God, this was not some form of divine and human sexual union that would have some type of a, a, a wonder that was this is something that's typically espoused by pagan religions like the Greek gods and the Roman gods. This is not what it's about. This is actually a supernatural creative work of the Spirit of God. And this is what the angel is describing here that was going to take place. As this young humble believer, this young humble believing woman was going to submit her will and her body to the Almighty God for His Holy Spirit to do a miraculous work in her body. And as Mary contemplated that, 
I think it's so interesting that she thought about this great miracle and the significance of it. We're given over in verse 46 of that same chapter, Mary's response in a, in a song of praise. And, and in this song of praise from verse 46 through verse 40, 55, we find clear references to prophetic words out of the prophets of the Old Testament and including the book of Psalms. So it's not just some subjective, emotional spouting of this woman that's overwhelmed with the idea of having the Son of God. She is thinking in terms of, wait a minute, this connects with the, what the Bible teaches. What is happening in me is the fulfillment of ancient scriptures. And look with me there in verse 46. It says, and, and this is when Mary had gone to her cousin Elizabeth, who also had been blessed to be able to have a miracle of her own. Except this was, she was an older woman, barren, had no children, and God blessed her and her husband Zacharias to be able to have this, a son miraculously, and he would be John the Baptist. But as she is there with Elizabeth, Mary offers this song of praise. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And so oftentimes this song is called Mary's Magnificat. My soul, she says, magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Now you'll notice she didn't say holy. She didn't say immaculate. Simply blessed. Okay? Mary was the blessed mother of Jesus. She's not the holy mother of Jesus, okay? For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary is praising God over the very concept of this great miracle that God is working in her now for Mary it was a miraculous birth for you and I those of us who follow Christ who have the Lord Jesus living in us by his Holy Spirit for the Christian it is a miraculous rebirth it is a miraculous rebirth if you go back just a few pages into the Gospel of Matthew in a different scenario, but the same story. Instead of Mary, it's Joseph. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, I want you to look at verse 18. And I want you to understand what God is saying to Joseph through an angel. Okay? In verse 18 of chapter 1 of Matthew, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. We understand how that happened because we just read Luke's version. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to put her or to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He could have done that. He could have divorced her. According to Deuteronomy 24.1 and Leviticus 20.10, he could have very well legally discharged her by divorce because she was with child before they had come together in 
their marriage. Oh, for that matter, he could have pushed the envelope and he would have been legally correct in having her stoned publicly as a public example of shame before the people. But we hear Matthew saying because he was a just man, he didn't want to do that. He was just going to have her write her letter of divorce to protect her physically, but to protect her reputationally also. In verse 20, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And it's interesting because God speaks in dreams through this whole time of Jesus' birth. God speaks through dreams to his people to get important messages across. You may recall when Herod was killing all the babies there in the Bethlehem area, baby boys under two years old. You may recall that God said to Joseph in a dream, take the baby, take the mother, and go get out of here. Saved the Messiah. So he's speaking this dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Remember the name. Jesus. Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. This baby that is being born to this virgin, God is saying to Mary, he's saying to Joseph, God is not doing a dog and pony show. He's not trying to demonstrate to the rest of the world, hey look, I can make a virgin have a baby. Poof. Like pull a rabbit out of a hat. No, no. God's got a mission in mind. He's got a very specific purpose in mind. He's got a very tedious task to perform, and that is to save lost sinners whom He has created in His own image and breathe an eternal soul in, and He's got to save them from the awful eternal penalty of their sins, which is eternal separation from God and a hideous place of judgment called hell. It's got to go just right. It's got to go exactly as He had foreordained from the beginning of history. And it involved Mary. It involved Joseph. And it involved Jesus. And so the miracle for Mary was that she was going to have the Son of God. How? We saw it. The angel explained it. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. God will do it, Mary. You just be available. And she was. And that's what she's saying. Here I am. I'm a humble maidservant. I'm God's vessel. Do the miracle in me, O God, that you want to do. And He did, of course, in the birth of Christ. But don't forget the miracle that continues to go on down through the generations. You and I, born-again believers of Jesus Christ, if you are a true follower of Christ Jesus, then whether you have come to grips with the reality or not, you and I are walking miracles. By the very same power that gave the virgin the ability to conceive a child without even having had sexual relationships with a man. And the miracle that has happened in you and I is the miracle of the rebirth. Because in each one of us, the Holy Spirit has enabled us to be born again. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 3, Jesus is trying to get this across to 
a religious leader of that time by the name of Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. And in John's Gospel in chapter 3 verse 5, Jesus said this. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of this water, born of the water and the Spirit, capital Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And by virtue of the fact, brother and sister, that the Spirit of God has done a miraculous, divine, supernatural work in you and in me, we are blessed with the privilege of being able to say, we are born again. We have been born from above. Do you understand that your rightness in the eyes of God and your relationship with God does not come through your goodness? It doesn't come by your wonderful personality. It doesn't come through all of your religious acts and your benevolent gifts. This week I had the privilege of talking to a young lady and her, she, she actually came from, her family came from northern India and she is of the Sikh faith, which is a offshoot of the Hinduism. It's a monotheistic faith, but is steeped in works. Her father is the equivalent of a pastor in the Sikh faith, and she was just describing to me his activities as a pastor. He has to wear certain ornaments on his body at all times. He has to have a special ring, a special necklace on his belt. He has a special little replica sword. He has to have that on. Because he's interceding on behalf of of the Sikh followers who trust him. He has to pray five times a day. Sounds like the Muslims, doesn't it? I mean, it has to be five times at certain times, certain words. He has to read so many hundreds of pages from the holy writings. It has to be done. And he's contracted by his congregation to daily read something like 500 pages from these, this holy writing. It has to be done. You understand? Their relationship with their God is totally dependent upon the works that he does day in and day out. And as she was describing that, not only did I feel tired, I said, man, I thought I had a busy day. <laughs> but I felt sad. I felt so sad to to live with with such a false notion that you got to keep working and you got to keep working and you got to keep working and like a like a typical Islam a Muslim from Islam would say you know if you ask him are you going to go to heaven I hope so I, I hope that I have done enough that Allah will be appeased with me and He won't vent His wrath on me. Aren't you glad? Aren't you absolutely thankful that God chose miraculously to do for us that which we can never do? You can never work enough to to earn your salvation, brothers and sisters. You can never, never do enough to set aside the wrath of God that we so justly deserve. That's why God came into the world. That's why He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And the miracle that has transpired in our lives is the working of the same Holy Spirit. I like the way Paul grasped that in Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. And he said, But God, who is rich in mercy according to His great love with which He loved us, even when we, don't miss this, even when we were dead, In our trespasses. He made us alive with Christ. And he says by grace 
Are you saved? Hey, listen, I don't think many Christians understand that before Jesus did His miraculous work in our life, before we became a miracle of God, we were walking, talking, dead men and women. Now, I'm a science fiction fan. I've already accompanied Sister Sherry and Andrew, Brother Andrew to see the first showing of the Star Wars or one of the early versions of it because I love science fiction. But don't come at me with some of that zombie stuff. The walking now may offend somebody today, but I'm sorry. This thing about people being dead and coming up and walking around, you know, and you know, no, no, no. But do you understand spiritually? You work with people. You go to school with people. You've got people in your family. And some of them will sit at the dinner table at Christmas with you this year. And they are spiritually dead. And that's what Jesus came to do. Was to give us life. Take a deep breath. You're alive. You are alive. Even if this body were to die. If you breathed your last breath today, do you understand? This body may sleep in the grave, but you and I are alive. We will live forever in the very presence of God. It's a miracle, people. It's a miracle. Oh, praise God. Christmas is a miracle to be experienced. And so when we go throughout our activities this Christmas and we, we celebrate Christmas with family and friends and whatever, would you dare to, to present yourself as a, as a miracle of God? Christmas certainly is about the miracle that took place 2,000 years ago. But don't forget the fact that the, it's about the miracle that is happening right now. And every time a person chooses to accept Jesus Christ. But not, we need to move along because Christmas is a miracle to be experienced. But also Christmas is a marvel to behold. I looked up that word marvel in my little iPhone dictionary. I hardly ever go to my old printed di- uh, dictionary anymore. It's just faster. I hope it's accurate. <laughs> but the word marvel is, is one that causes wonder and astonishment. We, we live in a very sophisticated and high-tech world. It offers a wide variety of human accomplishments that, that cause us to go, wow. I mean, you can be wild, wild about, about so many things that go on out there. I mean, I just, you know, I look at space exploration and, you know, the Hubble telescope and some of the images that that thing sends back. And, you know, they just had a probe that just went by Pluto. That's not just down the, the road, y'all. That thing is thousands and thousands of miles. And that rocket was shot long before some of our youth were born. So I'm just saying, and yet it goes by Pluto, taking pictures, sending them back. And I'm saying, wow, that's a marvel, isn't it? But you know, it doesn't stop there because God has blessed man to be able to, to have the intelligence to do so many other things, not only in space travel and exploration, but also in medicine. You think about some of the tech, techniques that they can do in, in surgeries and all the treatments. And, 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 you know, and I just say, wow, when I saw this story in one of the magazines talking about how surgeons can go inside of a mother's womb and, and, and go to the very baby that she's carrying in her womb who needs immediate emer- emergency surgery. They can do surgery on that baby inside the mother's womb Robotically, and I'm saying, wow, and save that child's life. 
And then so many other things, you know, the technology that, that, that we have. Somebody said that the, t- the computer that we have on our, just our typical cars that we drive around, with the exception of our 99 Honda. I don't know if it's got a computer. <laughs> it does have the um, electronic ignition, so that counts for something. But somebody said that the computer that we have on the average car that we drive is much more sophisticated than the very computer that they hit on the lunar lander that landed on the moon. That's how much uh, technology. So there's so many things that are going on in technology around us and that just, you know, with computer technology, that, that just is, wow, it, it's a marvel. But nothing in the history of the world rivals the divine marvel that Jehovah God generated 2,000 years ago there in that little town of Bethlehem. You're talking about a wow moment. What God did would just... She caused the universe to stand still. But isn't it interesting that God didn't make it a big public public spectacle? He didn't have the Roman Empire send flyers all over the empire and said, Come to Bethlehem, December the 24th. You know, get your tickets early. <laughs> Jesus is going to be for. No, it really went by virtually unnoticed by the rest of the world. But you know, it was interesting as I think about this great marvel. It was a marvel irregardless of how many people showed up to see it. It was still an absolute marvel. And isn't it interesting when you think about the guest list that God had for who would witness the birth of His Son. Isn't it interesting? What, what an unpredictable, unlikely group of characters. As we, as we look at the Gospel of Luke, and you're so familiar with this, I'm sorry, sometimes it gets old to us, it shouldn't. But, but in, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 2, you remember the story. This is oftentimes referred to as a Christmas story. But just consider the shepherds, for instance. And, and you know, in that culture, the shepherds were low, low caste. They're oftentimes, you know, avoided because shepherds had a habit of lying and Cheating and I mean they're just low class folks. Some of y'all are thinking about some of your relatives right now, aren't you? So they must have been shepherds. But anyway, try to get that out of your mind. They they were they were ceremonially unclean because of the the type of lifestyle they lived, and so they even religiously they were outcast. So I mean just a, a bunch of low lives. I don't mean that derogatorily. That's just the way they were regarded by the culture. Yet God gives them an invitation to witness the greatest marvel the world has ever experienced. Look how he did it. And and again, the angels play a part in this in chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country, this is Luke chapter 2, verse 8, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And I would be too if I was sitting out there at midnight in the campfire, and everything's dark, and I have a couple of sheep by and here and there and by there. And it sounds like, you know, and, and, and you're just going through, you're like relaxing, you're laying back, and all of a sudden about 2,000 kilowatts of light go on. The glory of God, folks, is bright, okay? It outshines the sun. So you're out there in the dark, and all of a sudden, this is before street lamps, you know, whew! <laughs> there's this brilliant light and then there's an angel standing there hey guess what Charlie Martin would be afraid too I'd be saying somebody get a gun and then other shepherds would say what's a gun <laughs> <So> <laughs> but uh, <coughs> the angel said in verse 10 the angel said do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings in other words good news of great joy 
which, is, which will be to all people. This is a, hey look, I've got something super duper to, to tell you guys. Get, get your mind wrapped around this. He says in verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Even the shepherds knew what the Savior was about. Even the shepherds understood that Jews looked forward to this great and blessed Messiah who would one day come and overthrow the, the tyranny that, that oppressed the people of God. And he goes on to say, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host and a multitude. And it talks about a host. In, in, in ancient scripture writings, you'll notice a lot of times when they talk about a host, they're talking about a big army. I mean, not just a handful. This is not just a delegation. This is not just a military delegation. This, when they talk about a host, you're talking about thousands and thousands. You remember in John's vision, uh, John's revelation, and John's talking about the celestial throne room of God. He's trying to describe how many angels he's seeing. He said there were 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000. Hey, get your calculators out and try to figure that. It'll cause them to smoke. John's virtually saying there's more angels than any human being could possibly count. Well, guess what? It started out with one angel. And just like an electronic switch going on, poof, he's joined by a multitude of angels and they're all standing and suspended in, in space and the glory of God is shining around these, these shepherds and they're all saying in unison, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So in verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from, the, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, whew, that was something. Joe, would you go make sure the sheep are okay? Who's got the hay? Alright, who's going to take first watch in the morning? No. <laughs> they were not going to be cheated of the opportunity to see the greatest marvel the world had ever seen. Hey, listen. Do you think the group of shepherds is a weird group for God to invite to the big occasion? What about, what about a group of pagan astrologers from a foreign country? That really gets intriguing, doesn't it? In Matthew chapter 2, that's exactly what God did. He invited some wise men from a far country. Probably Persia, which would be modern day Iran. And these wise men, these magi who, who, who studied the stars and they understood, and I believe that these were descendants of or had read the writings of Daniel who was in Persia centuries before. And Daniel had no doubt taught the people in Persia and that culture about the coming Jewish Messiah. And using scriptures and prophecies that talked about a special star that God would use to guide man to the birth of this king of the Jews. They saw that special star. Now it, it could have been a comet. It could have been some. Compilation of. Stars coming together. To be unusual and move. And I, You know what. If God can create a fish. For Jonah to get swallowed up in. That has you know air. And all the things that keep him alive. I really believe God can create a special star. Just for that moment. That would actually move. And actually traverse the skies and stop over the little town of Bethlehem. Don't you believe that? Sure. So they followed the star. So in, in Matthew's gospel we told that these wise men in chapter 2. They came to Bethlehem from afar. 
to witness this, it was a marvelous, it was a marvel to them as well. And we won't go, go through all of that, but the fact is, they saw this great happening there in Bethlehem. They witnessed it, they came and they saw that. Now what, what am I trying to tell you here this morning? Listen, it was, it, Christmas is a marvel. It was a marvel to be witnessed by people then. But let me tell you something. Just as God worked a miracle in, you know, in us, God is working a marvel in us. Let me share with you. Let me help you to see that. Because you may recall in Acts chapter 4, when we were looking at the, we were going through the, the, the book of Acts and we looked at the early church. You remember that early group of believers after the day of Pentecost? A great transformation came over them. A powerful transformation came. They were no, never, never to be the same again because the Spirit of God came down upon them and they were greatly empowered. And so God it, it did a, a work in the lives. Listen, when, when God worked in the hearts of that early church, when God began to work in the heart of that early church, let me tell you something, He did a great work in the lives of those people. In Acts chapter 2 verse 44. We learn how those people. The, the, the population around that early church. They saw the power of the Holy Spirit. Working miracles in their midst. They saw the apostles. Or heard the apostles teaching great doctrine. Like no one had ever taught before. They saw these people. Everyday people. Being transformed by the power of the Spirit of God. To have a love for one another. That nobody had ever seen before. They saw in this group of ordinary citizens who were empowered by the Spirit of God not only to love one another but to have compassion for people even outside of the church. Listen, when the world was looking at the early church after the day of Pentecost folks, they saw a miracle. They witnessed a marvel. And what I want you to understand and I hope it will challenge you in your daily walk with the Lord is to understand that not only are you and I spiritual miracles but listen, we are indeed marvels for the people of the world to see. If Christ is living in you and me, then there ought to be something absolutely different about us that would cause the rest of the world around us, family, friends, neighbors, to be able to look at us, look at our lives, and say, wow, there's something absolutely different about them. You know, Jesus touched on that in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5 and verse 14 through 16. Jesus said, you, you, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that men will see your good works and give glory to God. And you know that's what it's really all about. And so as, as we let the Spirit of God live in us, there ought to be some noticeable difference about the way that we live. Listen, when the Spirit of God takes a hold of our lives, He will give to us and generate within us obedient faith to Christ. He will give to us a deep, unconditional love for others. He will generate in us a godliness like people have not seen in, out there in the world. He will do great works in us that will bring the world to see that Jesus is living in us. We are a marvel if we are living our lives the way Christ has called us to live our lives as Christians. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And always be ready to give a defense to those who ask you a reason for the hope that is in you. Here's a question I want to ask you, and you don't need to answer it out loud. In fact, I prefer that you not. But, but when people who know you look at your life, 
When people who know you and are in relationship with you look at your life, do they see anything different? Is there anything different about you than anybody else out there in the secular culture? I think one of the greatest insults for any of us as Christians would be for one of our co-workers or one of our schoolmates or one of our family members when you mention about being a Christian for them to say, oh, you mean you're a Christian? Is your life a marvel? And I don't mean by doing impressive things. I don't mean by the way you dress or the things you have. Or, or I'm not saying these are things that you can do on your own. I'm saying is, is the abiding, powerful presence of Christ in your life, is the miracle that has transpired in your life making a difference in you so that when people who know you look at you, they say, you know, old Charlie Martin, is, you know, I've known him before. And, and now he's different. His life is a, is a marvel. The way he loves, the way he relates, his kindness, his gentleness, his patience, his joy, his peace, his, you know, his self-control. He's a marvel. Christmas is a marvel to behold 2,000 years ago and today. When the angel told Mary that he would be God with us, Jesus would be Emmanuel. God with us. Folks, that's the marvel. This is the fact that we are walking around. We're living in a world with God living with us. The marvel of Christmas, that first Christmas, was that God came to man. The marvel of, Christ, of, of Christmas today is that God lives in man. Finally, I want you to see, not only is Christmas, Christmas is a miracle, Christmas is a marvel, But Christmas is a message to be shared. As we look back to Luke's Gospel in chapter 2, you'll see that there were indeed enthusiastic messengers who heralded the Savior's birth in chapter 2. Of Luke, we saw where the angel came and says, Hey, look, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And then I pointed out to you in Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, and there was a heavenly host, and they were praising the Lord. Listen, the heavenly host proclaimed... The news, the great news, with praise to God. That's what it says. And they were praising God in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Praising God. Even even those lowly shepherds got it. In verse 17 of chapter 2 of Luke. It says, now when they had seen him, the shepherds had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And then drop down to verse 20. Then the shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Listen, those who witnessed that great miracle, those who saw the marvel that God did on that first Christmas, listen, they didn't keep it a secret. They had to tell somebody. They had to share it with somebody. And that they did. I believe the wise men, as they went back to Iran or Persia, as they made their way back. Listen, I believe they were broadcasting all along the way. The Messiah has been born. The Messiah has been born. The Messiah has been born. So Christmas is a message to be shared. And as we bring it into the 21st century, and you and I today, born again believers celebrate Christmas by proclaiming Christ. And that means sharing the true meaning of 
of what Christmas is with no apologies. Without modifying it, folks. I think about Peter and John. You remember when they, after Pentecost, they were preaching and, and working miracles out there in the street and the Jewish leaders didn't like it, so they had them arrested and they, they threatened them. They threatened Peter and John and said, listen, we're going we're to beat you. We're going to do bad things to you if you don't just shut up about this Jesus. We don't want to hear anything else about this Jesus being resurrected. And I love what Peter and John said. I love their response. It was right. I mean, it had to have been impulsive from the Spirit. They said, judge for yourselves whether it's right to obey you rather than God. But we cannot help saying or speaking about what we have seen and heard. Kill us. We can't help telling about the Savior who was born of a virgin, who lived to reveal the kingdom of God, who died on a cross as a propitiation of our sins, the precious Lamb of God, who was buried in a tomb and resurrected on the third day, and He appeared before us, and He ascended into heaven, and He's at the right hand of God the Father, and the Spirit of God is upon us. Go ahead and kill us, because we can't help but tell it like it is. And I think about the people calling themselves Christians today who feel like they're bound to be politically correct. Happy holidays. Save it, people. Save it. It sure doesn't light my fire. There's plenty of other holidays that you can say that for. Save it for the 4th of July. Save it for some other secular holiday. But when we talk about the birth of Jesus Christ, the miracle of God, the marvel of God, listen, I'm not going to say happy holidays. I'm going to tell you Merry Christmas with a capital C because we're talking about the Son of God who came into this world. We have a message, ladies and gentlemen. The baby that was born in that manger 2,000 years ago, guess what? He wasn't an ordinary baby. He was a precious Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is the Lamb of God. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's coming again. And He will rule victoriously and righteously over this earth. And you want me to be politically correct? Excuse me. I've got a message to share. The message is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come. Who better than the Apostle Paul to be able to talk about sharing the message? And I, I just want to touch on this. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in verse 7 to talk about our bodies being these, these earthen vessels, but in our earthen vessels, boy, we caught a marvelous treasure. We've caught a brilliant light. We have a message of hope. We have a message of love. We have a message of peace. We have a message of, of life. And it's Jesus Christ. And we have Christmas is about a message to be shared. Heaven forbid that around the Martin household we wouldn't talk about the Christmas story when we're unwrapping our gifts and eating our food and talking about the joys of Christmas. The Martin tribe gathered together. This was back up at my dad's yesterday looked like Custer's last stand but we had all my brothers and sisters most of them and 
children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. Oh, there was just all a bunch. We had all kinds of gifts to open up. And, but you know the thing I always look forward to, and this is something my parents have instilled in me and I'll instill in my children. But that celebration was not without us sitting around singing hymns of faith about the birth of Jesus Christ. Not one of those kids opened one of those gifts before they heard the story right out of the Gospel of Luke about what Christmas is really all about. Oh, listen, don't get quiet. Don't get muzzled at Christmas. That's the time. That's the time to really shout. That's the time to really shine. That's the time that the birth of Jesus Christ needs to be broadcast. Listen, folks, we have a message We have a wonderful message because it's a great miracle that transpired 2,000 years ago and transpires in our lives today. Listen, a wonderful marvel took place outside in that little town of Bethlehem in that stable. But let me tell you something. There's a marvel walking around. Every time you see a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you see a marvel of God. And there is a message for you and I to be able to share today. I like that song we sang. In fact, I'm going to ask Brother Mark to... Help me conclude the service by leading us in singing. Go t- Listen, go tell it on the mountains. Over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ is born. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ is born. Hallelujah.